here are the sounds of a dragon battle. Stay tuned for discussion with our dragon experts. That's the common trope anyways, but how much of that is actually true? With us today, Elijah Smith, Bergen Franklin, and Jaleese Rodrigue. You know I used to take my mom dragon hunting? I was a lonely child. <laughs> Keep telling this story. I will. <laughs> I used to actually, we both bought notebooks and she would entertain me because she was actually, she's the mother. She would entertain me and we would go out in nature and write down dragon information. And I would search for dragon tracks. I said I was a very lonely child and have many friends. So anyways, yeah, then I would actually um, go to the length of actually creating little quizzes about dragons. I would give to my mom and she would entertain me additionally and like fill out the quizzes. Um, yeah, that was about, that was it. That's what, I have a lot of um, experience with dragons apparently. Like, I guess depend on experience with dragons. Like, I haven't seen a dragon, but like. I know a lot about dragons. Good. How you first got introduced to dragonology? Yeah, actually, did you know the old uh, mythology books? All those in libraries, those, those like big books like wizardology, Egyptianology, pyrodology. Right, right, right. Okay. There's another one, dragonology. That's my favorite. And I used to read it all the time, and I actually owned the book, and it got me really into dragons. I did a bunch of like research into dragons, and then I would like go online, do other sorts of research into dragons, actually look up and read books about dragons, and all this, and then. Um, after that, I don't think I really touched more into dragons until AP U.S. History with Mr. McCarty, junior year of high school. Uh, our final was to make a presentation about anything we wanted. I think it was like a 10-minute presentation. And me, being me, decided to do my presentation about dragons. So, I went up there and made a very convincing argument of why dragons totally, absolutely exist in the world. So, dragons, what do you want to know? Tell me what you know. Well... I'll start with D&D then, as that's probably my favorite. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So actually, my first introduction to dragons was through a D&D adventure kit where the players were going into this uh, dragon den to steal its, its treasure. Um, and what was neat about that particular one is that it really highlighted the ingenuity and danger of kobolds, which are basically tiny little dragons the size of terriers that are very cowardly. So from there, I also knew dragons in the sense of sort of traditional European folklore, uh, Chinese dragons, and just uh, as a figure within fantasy. What's interesting, though, is the whole idea of a dragon has actually appeared all across the world in every civilization before any of them connected with each other. And I do find it interesting, the idea of a large, magical lizard, usually flying and bre or breathing fly fire, or both, right. some, a lot of times talking as well, sometimes portrayed as a god or a demon, 
has been portrayed in multiple different sources. And there's no creature in nature that could potentially match that, especially not reptilian. What I do find really interesting is the fact that it has appeared in all sorts of different sources. Like, it's modified greatly. For instance, um, in, like, Asian things, it was more of a magical wisdom being that lived thousands of years. It would fly around holding a crystal ball. It was also the, um, the symbol of ying, which was the uh, energy of good. It's supposed to be the magical item of good. Eastern dragons are more spiritual in their origin. They're closer to gods, luck, luck incarnate, that that sort of sort of thing. So for the Europeans, dragons are beasts to slay, and for the Asians, particularly the Chinese, uh, dragons are are gods. They're revered. You're very lucky if you happen to come across well a luck dragon. Then you go more into like Europe, for instance. It was more of a beast for hunting. You know, it was a great foe you would fight. It would collect gold, collect treasure, and it would lay upon that. And that's where you get very stereotypical dragons that we know in Western cultures of that big winged lizard breathing fire and collecting gold, yada yada, with princess, all that. Then again, also, at the, to- at the time, Europe was at war most of that period, so kind of makes sense. Then you get something like Africa. Africa also had a dragon, for instance, and it was more of a, it didn't fly, really, but it was more of a gigantic lizard that would go and devour people from towns and so, towns. So are we talking B.C. or... Uh, oh, this is all B.C. Okay. This is old, old times. Very early civilization. And then you even go into the Americas, and, like, the Incas had a dragon of their own. And theirs, it was a mix between, like, a European dragon and, like, a bird. It had feathers, it was brightly colored, and it was portrayed more like a god-esque. And actually, sometimes, in a lot of the Inca-Aztec gods would be portrayed closer to lo- what would look like a dragon-esque. Okay, and anyways, uh, what I was thinking of, uh, I just looked it up again. It was um, Ouroboros was the snake I was thinking of, which is that old, uh, the mother creation, which uh, there's been a lot of different variations of the tale, but the very basic original idea was it was the mother creation and or to create the cycle of life and death. She essentially is biting her own tail for all of eternity to create that cycle and she is the embodiment of the cycle of life and death. And she's like the mother of all creation. So I would like to ask there, um, what really is, because in Norse mythology, there's also a massive snake that's like the world snake yeah. that encompasses the entire world. Yeah. And what is what is the, in Norse mythology, I mean, the, their boats have snake heads on them oh, yeah. and dragon heads. What is the connection between snakes, in which there are none in Iceland or Greenland, Yep. With dragons. Mm, um, I mean, you can also give the, the the illusion here to the to the sea monsters, the the sailors seeing the giant serpents, the giant squids, and the whales. And so, in my mind, dragons and sea monsters and all that basically represents the unexplored unknown, which currently. Uh, outside of the deep ocean that really doesn't exist anymore on on Earth, which is why you're starting to see more of uh, an explosion of science fiction because the the human imagination has moved towards the stars. During medieval eras, it was towards the dark corners of the world that hadn't been explored yet. That's actually a very interesting point. That that was another thing I was trying to get to is the fact that like. 
the whole the dragon idea has gone across the entire world with no good reason for it to be going across the entire world. For instance, like yes, there is a lot of snake mythology, especially in like that North mythology, and it might be something derived from just mythology that was carried up from other parts of the world. But to be that um, prevalent in North mythology, to have so many like the world snake, the god snake, snakes on bows, all this stuff. It is kind of interesting that I don't have an exact answer for you to why. Uh, potentially, you could do more research in that matter. But it is something to look into the fact that while, yeah, I don't necessarily believe in... Well, here's another interesting thing. A, a lot of dragon ideas and dragon mythology was derived from fossils, dinosaur fossils, which is a lot of things, which, yeah, you could definitely see how that's the connection between how a lot of these civilizations that didn't connect with each other was able to all come up with the idea of a dragon is they all found fossils of reptilian creatures. Now, I don't know exactly how they knew there was reptiles in that primitive time, except maybe comparing it between, like, this fossil and, like, a, a snake skeleton or something like that. But they all were able to derive something between this dinosaur fossil and a magical dinosaur or dragon god creature. And that's kind of interesting to find out. So, do you believe that there is a relevant connection between um, dinosaur fossils and dragons? A dinosaur bone is a dragon. A cyc- uh, an elephant skull is a cyclops. And if you look at the biological history of the world, it's basically humans have an instinctive need to understand the world around them. And so fantasy, or in this case dragons, exist because early people found dinosaur bones and couldn't explain it any other way. Seeing a dinosaur fossil and imagining it as something as a gigantic walking lizard with potentially magical powers, yeah, that's not that far-fetched an idea for them. I remember one specific report about, like, the supernatural and about how scientists mistook uh, the skull of, uh, I think it was, like, some kind of woolly mammoth. It was some kind of, it's so relative to the elephant. And uh, because that there is no, like, bridge between the two eyes, they mistook it as uh, the skull of a cyclops. Well, it's an interesting thing. To, like, prove the fact that, like, we don't always know everything about fossils and fossils are very confusing— the very stereotypical long neck, long tailed dinosaur was it the uh, bronchiosaurus? Not bronchiosaurus. Is it the bronchiosaurus? Yeah. yeah. Yes. New research came out a few years ago. That creature never existed. There's been variations of that creature, like modifications, but the original species of the bronchiosaurus never existed. There's modified versions, but the original idea never actually was a creature. What do you mean, modified versions? Like, modified versions, like subspecies. Okay. Like, yes, Where... it would be a long-necked, long-tailed dinosaur like it, but the exact species that they came up with of the Bronchiosaurus never actually truly existed. I don't know. I never heard about this. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a huge... It's like kind of a shock because... Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense because we were never there. And, we, and like, sure, like, uh, like, fossils can give us, like, a lot of information, but it can't be, like... It can't give us, like, everything, like, every point of detail. That's another interesting point. Because um, a lot of those dinosaurs, such as like, the bronchiosaurs and whatnot, not just the bronchiosaurs, but the other ones like it, their nostrils actually are more on the top of their skull, besides where they would normally be in front of the head. Mm-hmm. A lot of scientists have speculated that 
the, the bronchiosaurs and creatures like that spent a lot of their time in the water, deep water. And the reason they had their nostril on top of their head is they could stretch their necks up and just get the top of their head above waterline to breathe real quick, then lower their head back down to eat underwater plants. So in a way, it's kind of like a dolphin or a wet or a whale, how like their blowholes where they can like actually breathe is on the top of their heads. That's not that much of a stretch if you think about it, because for, like the moose, for instance, people don't realize this. The moose spends a huge amount of time of its life completely underwater. Right, and that's I why, heard that somewhere. That's why like, the yeah. moose's main predator is orcas. And people don't realize that the, the moose will casually dive thirty meters underwater. And that that's something people don't realize. It's, we don't always have all the facts about the creatures. And you also want to think about a um, like a winged dinosaur reptile. There's also stuff like pterodactyl, for instance. Say ancient civilizations found a fossil of a pterodactyl. What are they supposed to think? Are you, are you thinking they shouldn't think that that's some sort of di- dragon? Like it's, that's a pretty accurate description, I'd say. Thank you for listening in.